If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious lolly Focus Pops or lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. It's time to break the silence and open up the dialogue around the topics of miscarriage and baby loss. No more shame. No more taboo. Let's ditch it for the sake of our children. The ones who are, the ones who will come. And in memory of the ones who never came to be. This is the Worst Girl Gang Ever podcast. Hello and welcome to this episode of the Worst Girl Gang Ever. Today we are joined in our virtual studio by... Emma Coles, but her um, her name on Zoom today is Stephen. So welcome to the studio, Stephen. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thanks so much for joining us, Steve. It's really lovely to have you here. <laughs> I'm so pleased to be here. <laughs> Not doing a speed awareness course. <laughs> yeah, we just before we came on, we talked about why Steve's uh, name is on the Zoom, and it's because he's done so many speed awareness courses. So, Steve, if you're listening to this, slow down. <laughs> Um, so maybe if you could Emma take us through how you joined the girl gang um we can go from there yeah um so I got pregnant with my third child in July 2020 um everything was as it should be I think third pregnancy I was probably very naive um thought I knew it all by then um, everything like progressed fine and as it had in my t- two previous pregnancies um, we got to both my first and second child were like 10 pound babies so um, I've always been consultant led and have growth scans um, so we got to our 34 week growth scan and um, our something just wasn't right. I remember looking at the, we had a trainee sonographer and then a um, senior sonographer as well. And they, obviously they measure the the head as part of the growth measurements. And I just remember her saying that the ventricles were 16 millimetres and then the senior sonographer was just sort of like, 16? And she was like, yeah. And um, continued on the computer um, I didn't even know what a ventricle was at this point. I've never heard of it in my two previous pregnancies. And um, so we just sort of were told that the consultant would need to scan us and we'd need to go and wait as she was working on the labour ward. Um, so I remember just it being the longest 40 minutes of my life waiting for her to come down. Um, Did they explain anything else to you? Uh, why you were waiting? No, I remember getting myself into a bit of a state by that point and there was some other ladies sort of with their 12 and 20 week scans and they were like, are you okay? And I was, I remember being like, no, not really. And it was sort of COVID. So Stephen was allowed into the scans, but not allowed in the waiting room. So he was outside and I was in. Um, they just sort of said that some of the measurements on baby's brain weren't what they would expect by that gestation. And when was your previous scan? Was 20 weeks the one that you'd... No, I had one at 28 weeks with a consultant um, and that was all fine. The only things that flagged up, which I look back now, is that the baby was a lot smaller than my previous pregnancies. Um, I remember by going to the 34-week scan, um, Zara was only about £4.13, well, my second baby was like eight pounds at my 36 week scan. Um, so she was a lot smaller, but because she followed the growth 
Mm. Uh, no, everyone was just sort of like, oh, I think you're going to have a slightly smaller one. Mm. Uh, which I was like, oh, great. I might not end up with loads of stitches. Um, yeah. But yeah, so nobody really questioned it because she did follow a growth pattern. Um, but yeah, we waited for the consultant. Um, and I remember it was sort of still very like, covid times at the hospital but another lady came into the scanning room with us and sort of perched on my bed with her hand on my thigh and I remember thinking like oh you know nobody's been near to me for so long covid um and now she's touching me and I thought this is this is odd like um and so the consultant started scanning and um I mean, I look at it now and I have no medical training, and, but Zara's brain did not look as it should. Um, there was lots of um, dark areas, which the consultant originally thought was um, blood or a hemorrhage. Um, and then, yeah, she could see that the four ventricles were like 16 millimetres, which I think by that gestation, they should be about eight millimetres or less. So the fluid was building and she could also see that the fluid wasn't draining out the back of the brain and down to the spine. There was a blockage. Um, so, yeah, they sort of, they, they, I don't know, they didn't really, she said, I can't give you a diagnosis right now. Um, BenchQ Megaly was obviously mentioned, which is, is the, the fluid buildup. Um, but they said that we'd have to be referred to fetal medicine because I was, 34 weeks, they said it would be urgent and we'd probably be seen the next day. Um, so we sort of were put in the quiet room and had I had a lot of bloods taken because they the first thing they think of is um, an infection like CMV or they were asking me if I'd been unwell. Uh, they took Stephen's blood as well, which is for like a genotyping antigen. I don't really understand it, but all our bloods came back fine. Um, and yeah, they sort of said, you'll hear from the hospital um, urgently. They sort of said, you know, even out of hours times, you might get an email um, to be seen the next day. Gosh, that must have been such a lot to take in from going to the, you know, almost thinking that you're on the home run, as it were, and then going to the hospital and having that, like, what did you do when you got home? I meant we obviously got home a lot later than planned and my parents had had our other two children. So I remember sort of coming home and they were being bathed and just acting normal in front of them um, and waiting for them to go to bed before we could speak to my parents. And I think all of us just spent the whole evening Googling like mm. uh, the ventricle measurements, ventricle megaly, um, like brain abnormalities in third trimester and, um, but it was just so odd because she, like she was moving and I, I never had an issue with like her movements or, um, and obviously I've, I've learned loads since then. And, um, yeah, I think we just spent the whole evening on Google. Mm. And how old were your children? Um, our eldest was four. Okay five four or five and um, my youngest was two okay I'm um, yeah middle one now yeah and so what happened you know following that following when did you get that diagnosis um so we went to fetal health the next day we had an appointment um with a lovely doctor who cared for us from start to finish um and she did a really detailed ultrasound scan and it was quite difficult because the baby was so big by then the ultrasound scans like they really struggled to see what they wanted to see and I remember feeling so bruised afterwards because they'd scanned me for like over half an hour um she at first thought there might have been like an intracranial hemorrhage um but she said with things like this and the brain, you won't get a definitive answer until you have an MRI scan. Um, so, yeah, we sort of left there again, having had the ultrasound. She also wasn't very happy with um, Zara's heart, the blood flow. 
I remember watching her scan and the machinery was obviously so much better and they're using lots of colour. And she said there's something not quite right. There's a little leak or blood doesn't flow in the right way. So she said, I also want you to go to Great Ormond Street to have um, her heart scanned. So we just sort of had to leave there again, waiting. She said it would be an emergency MRI appointment. But I think I remember it was Thursday by this point. So I thought we wouldn't, we'd have to wait over the weekend. So we just sort of had to go home again and wait for the MRI appointment and um, to see the heart specialist as well. And how long did you have to wait for those appointments? Um, we, we had the MRI on the Tuesday, the following Tuesday evening. And then a long weekend. Very. And I just remember um, I'd sent off my pram to be cleaned that I'd used in my previous children. I remember her messaging me saying it was ready. And obviously I didn't want to get into you know that with a stranger. Um, so I picked it up and I didn't want it at home because my eldest daughter was getting so excited and I didn't want her like pushing it around the house so I just took it to my parents and tried to just have a normal weekend with the kids but um I didn't want to go anywhere like I didn't want to see anyone I didn't want to walk around the town because I was so heavily pregnant by this point it was always like oh you're nearly there and um when are you due and and I just didn't want to see anyone and did you at that point at that during that weekend did you know how serious it all was I think so I think um they obviously did a lot of measurements like on her brain and we obviously saw when she was scanning and I just remember like I've got the images of everything like in my little folder now and I remember thinking like that doesn't look okay and my mum always says now she thinks I knew, like I knew that she wouldn't come home. Um, I just, yeah, I think a mixture of like how small she was, then this heart thing as well. And yeah, I think I did feel it was serious. Mm. Yeah. So you went to Great Ormond Street on the Tuesday? We had an MRI first on, late on the Tuesday evening, but they have to send um, the MRI scan off to sort of specialist at um, University Hospital in Sheffield. But my doctor was very much like, I'm going to beg for the results to come back within 72 hours. Um, she said, because you're so late in pregnancy. So we, we had that. Um, and then we went to Great Ormond Street the next day, which was it felt like light relief having the heart scan because I knew they'd tell us there and then what they thought. And I don't remember being that phase. They said she had multiple small VSDs, which, I mean, they sort of didn't say it's like a huge issue and you can try and treat it with um, diuretic medication. And if that doesn't work, they can have surgery within the first six months of life. But she was very much like, Children go on to lead normal lives after that. And I just remember, though, at the end of the appointment, um, she said, I'll send the report off to, to your doctor at Fetal Health. And then I just remember her saying, but I know the brain abnormalities are the main issue here. And she'd obviously been briefed on what was happening. And I just remember thinking like, oh, like this is bad. Mm. so we left London I think it was about four o'clock so it hadn't even been 24 hours since our MRI and my phone started ringing and it was our doctor and I just like knew I just felt like I knew um that it wasn't going to be good news so she sort of said oh do you want me to wait till you get home but because we knew the kids would be there we said no um so she did ask Stephen to pull over and um I just remember her saying, like, I'm so sorry, it's not good news. Um, and that bit always gets me. Um, and she just said that Zara had um, bilateral, well, widespread polymicrogyria, which means it was sort of all over her brain, and um, severe bilateral ventricular megaly, which is the, the fluid buildup and blockages. Um, but the polymicrogyria is like the 
the major defect, I suppose. It's like the abnormal development of the brain. And obviously the surface of the brain has all folds and ridges. Um, and the brain has developed too many folds and is unusually small. And it just means that all the neurons haven't landed where they should. And um, that area of the brain then doesn't function properly. And because hers was all over, um, yeah, they, they just said like her, the outlook for her is really not good. Um, I still, I still struggle with that. That they, I think I wanted the doctors to tell me what a day in the life of Zara would be like, and they obviously can't definitively tell you that. And I do still struggle with that, but um, she basically just said that she would have a type of epilepsy that would be refractory to medication. She'd more than likely be blind. She'd never feed um, because the brain abnormalities have a lot to do with the swallowing. Um, and she would sort of be like mentally and physically handicapped is the word that they, I don't know if that's very PC anymore, but. Did the, did you know, were they able to give you an idea of like how severe the um, the mental and physical handicap would be? Um, because it was like widespread and sort of all over, they said that it would be like every aspect of, you know, socially, emotionally, physically. Um, to me, like they were saying that she'd never leave a bed. Right. You know, she'd be tube fed, um, blind. They said she'd probably never know like who you were, which I found awful. Um, and I think we, we'd obviously come across these different diagnoses while we were endlessly Googling. And I just said to Stephen, and we both agreed like we wouldn't choose that life for each other or our worst enemy and let alone our baby. Um, and I mean, I can't imagine how hard it would be if, if you don't feel the same as a couple. Um, but we just knew, and, and I think, I do think we would have ended up just making a decision of like turning life support off. And to us, that felt like the same decision just at a different time. Yeah. Uh, I couldn't stand they obviously said like all the brain abnormalities are totally not reversible. You know, nothing they can do is going to make her better. Um, and I couldn't stand the thought of not knowing if she was in pain or not. Yeah. Um, and we, we felt like we would give birth to her just so the decision wasn't ours. And I don't know. We felt selfish if we did that. Yeah. Uh, and did they, at that point, did they say, look, you have, the, this is the decision that you have to, to end the, the pregnancy now. You can do that now. Did they yeah. say from the off at that, at that point or did you have to go in for an appointment and discuss it all further? No, she, she sort of, while we had the chat about the diagnosis, she sort of said that, um, I think they'd like previously looked uh, what what had been done so far and they have to have like a multidisciplinary meeting um and I think at that point we'd already I don't know what the tick boxes are to be honest but I think we it would already have been a yes and then once they got the MRI results she almost was saying to us that she didn't need to consult anyone else again like um and that we would be able to have a termination for medical reasons, which I just didn't even know. I definitely didn't even know it existed. And I definitely didn't know it existed for third trimester. Mm. Uh, and I just remember her saying like, when, when would you like to come in? And I was like, well, I need the weekend. You know, like I didn't even have things ready to give birth. And um, we were going into Easter holiday with the kids so I remember being like I, I need my daughter to finish school and we need to think about childcare and and she was lovely she just said I'll we'll I'll phone you again the next morning and we can discuss um 
when would be best and I'll talk you through everything again. And, um, yeah, I, I just, I mean, it is the, the clause that they introduced was that two medical practitioners, doctors agree that the child is going to, um, I've to, I wrote it down again, um, substantial risk that if the child were born, it would suffer from such physical or mental abnormalities as to be seriously handicapped. And that clause was brought in in like 1990. Mm. Uh, but, and I think, I mean, at the beginning, I used to have days where I thought, oh, they've got it wrong. Like, what if they've got it wrong? Or these aren't my results. But, yeah. I think two doctors wouldn't put their careers on the line as such if... No. Well, if there was any kind of discrepancy or questioning, they'd obviously get more doctors, more professionals involved in that decision-making process. And from what you said, Emma, it just sounds as if it was quite a definite diagnosis from from the word go as soon as the MRI scans were back. So was there a point when you got home... Like when you got home after having received that phone call, did you tell your kids straight away, or how did you and your and Stephen decide what to do about telling your family and and making that decision? Was that a decision that you knew together straight away that you were going to make, or did you have to chat about it? Um, I think we both knew together. I mean, it was quite. I suppose it was quite good for us. We had the drive home from London together before having to see the kids. Um, and I think we knew from what the doctors had said and what we'd sort of read online that that isn't a life we would choose for our child. And um, both my parents and uh, my sisters were sort of aware of everything, every appointment. Um, so we came home and obviously my parents were here. And, and I think once the children were in bed, we told them. Um, and I thought, oh, I feel like we all just knew. I think being like rushed around for all these appointments and um, like the urgency of everything. And I think we just knew from the doctors that there was never going to be a very good outcome or there wasn't. I remember just saying to the doctor, like, what can you do like for her brain? And they were like, nothing. We can't, you know, that's how it's developed. And there is, they just said they would, if she were to be born, they would just sedate her um, to make her comfortable as possible. Um, so I just felt like we would delay in the inevitable. Um, and they sort of, they sort of said to us that she wouldn't feel pain if, if we had a termination for medical reasons, um, which some days I, I think surely she would have felt some pain but I don't there's a lot of about whether babies feel pain in the womb I'm not sure but yeah it's just and I I didn't want to tell the children um I felt like I just we needed to get our heads around it um and we'd got like the the weekend but I just remember by the end of the weekend my mum saying like you can't you can't let our daughter especially, um, think that you're going to hospital and you're going to come home with the baby. Um, So we did tell her, um, which I remember, I remember being so worried um, about telling her. But kids are so matter of fact, I just remember saying to her that um, we'd found out Zara was a girl by this point. um, And I just remember saying to her that, the doctors have found that she was really poorly and um I tried to we tried to explain to her that you know a woman's body keeps babies alive for them um but she wouldn't be able to 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 keep herself alive like when she wasn't in mummy's tummy and and I've been so worried about it and asking my mum and dad to be here and she was just very like oh okay um and I think she was just like, it was straight. I think kids are very like, um, you know, it's all about them kind of thing. And I remember her saying like, well, is my brain okay? And I was like, yeah, you're fine. Like you're here and 
big and growing and and um that was sort of it she I mean I think she obviously we used to get a lot of questions at bedtime and her brain was obviously worrying and um but it was yeah she was very like oh okay then and I just remember looking at my mum like have I worded it right and she was like I think that's enough like you know now she was yeah "Yeah, that's enough for now and has she come back like since has she come back with more kind of questions and where and that sort of thing you worry about her um I mean, everyone tells us not to worry because we've been as like matter of fact with her as we we could. And she talks about Zara all the time and she has a little locket with her photo in um, and she'll show everyone. And um, But she's going to be seven next week. And I think there has been a shift sort of once she turns six. I think it's like six or seven when they understand that death is... Yeah. Can't change it. Um, and she does... I mean, she just always, she came down from bed the other night and she was like, I miss Sarah, I want her here now. And um, she does get very emotional. And she did ask me the other night, like, how did Zara die? And I said to my husband, like, I'm not ready to go. You know, she's only six. Like, I'm not going to go into the medical details yet. She just knows that Zara's brain and heart was poorly Um and that sort of mummy's body kept her alive. Um, but I do, I, I dread that. I dread having to tell them um, what actually happened because I, I think I fear their judgment. And mm. I think that's why I wrote, I wrote Zara's story out um, and it like, it'll be good for them um, to understand sort of what happened and all the tests we had and, yeah, I do worry about telling them that. Um, but I think that's a real fear of judgment everyone has that's had a termination for medical reasons. I'm definitely not. I feel like I'm over it now. Um, I wrote a blog for, for Elle, for the, the Voice Mum blog, and the messages I got were so lovely. I think that kind of... Um, blew away any last minute doubts that I had or fear of judgment yeah. so d- just to clarify you're over your over the fear of judgment yeah I think so I think probably spent the first year still um, worrying about it and I'd often just say that Zara was stillborn which she is obviously registered as stillborn but um, I'd pick and choose I think um, mm-hmm. now I would tell anybody like what happened. And I think, you know, nobody knows what they would do until they're in that situation. Yeah. I think lots of people like to think they know what they would do, but yeah. I, I think that you, you don't do you until you're there yourself. Yeah. Mm. Oh, bless her. Yeah. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. So after that, after the the diagnosis and the decision and stuff, how long was it before you actually went in? Um, I went in on the Monday. Um, We got that phone call on the Thursday night and then we spoke to our doctor again on the Friday. Um, And they were very keen for like geneticists to get involved as well. Um, So we sort of ran through like what would happen next. And and we went to the hospital where, where our fetal health doctor was on the Monday um, to have the procedure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which is just, it's quite barbaric, I suppose. It, I wish there was something different they could do, but um, yeah, it's, it's an awful procedure. 
Yeah, is it the, what? What can you talk us through the procedure? Or yeah, feed side, which also I think is a terrible word, and they should think of a different word. Um, and they they basically uh, perform an ultrasound um, and wait to have a good view of the baby's heart, and then they use a very very large needle. Um, and inject the heart to make it stop. Um, and I just, I think when I look back now, like Stephen was much more emotional than I was. I think I still was in shock and then I still knew I had to deliver her. Yeah. I can't lose the plot now because I've still got to go through labour. Um, and we were always going home to our other children. So I think I was just like, so do you, feel, <clears throat> do you feel that you sort of detach yourself from reality slightly to enable you to cope with what was happening and keep your mind in the here and now, just, you know, the next thing at the time, one thing at the time, next thing, just concentrate yeah. on the next thing? I remember, like, having the procedure and obviously laying, and I felt like it wasn't me or like I was out of my body. Um, and then we sort of had our own, like, lounge room, because um, you sort of had to stay to be a, um, you know, check you you weren't unwell after, and I had to have some anti D injection, and so we sort of had to wait for a few hours. And I remember like me and Stephen like laughing because he like sat on the sofa and it nearly broke. And I look back at things like that, and it's like, how did we laugh like in that room? Yeah. We actually, funny enough, we had <clears throat> we did a podcast with Reese and Layla, who had a, um, a TFMR, and they said the exact same thing. They said that they, they, it was an awful, awful time, but it was weird how real it was still and how we, they joked about something. And then it was just a, a strange, surreal kind of experience, which just sounds like that's a common theme. It's just horrendous. And so how was the labour and the birth? Absolutely fine. I think... Um, that they give you obviously the medication to suppress your pregnancy hormones and ideally they want it to then be 48 hours um, until your next medication. Um, they said I could labour at my local hospital, um, which I liked because I'd had my other two children there, so it was very familiar. Um, so on the, the day after, I just spent at home and I do remember being in pain Um because the medication sort of tells your placenta to start breaking down. And she just felt like really heavy. Um, and then we went to our local hospital on the Wednesday. But I, I don't know if it's because I've had like two inductions previously, but it was very similar to like a normal induction. Um, once we got there, I think the medication's probably stronger because they haven't obviously got to worry about a, a baby's heart rate. Um so I sort of, we got there at half eight in the morning, um, started medication probably by like half nine. And um, she was born by 11 minutes past three in the afternoon. Um, and she was only a tiny five pound 13, which is tiny for me. Um, so the birth was actually, it's so strange. We we think her birth was lovely, which I think is a odd um it's the first birth I've had where like the emergency cord hasn't been pulled and I've had no stitches and it was very like serene and it was just the, the midwife that was delivering her and I do think we almost forgot for a split second that she wasn't crying or like opening her eyes we just I think we got to a point where we just wanted to meet her mm. And she looked just like our other two children who look identical anyway. Um, but, yeah, her birth was lovely. Really. And I think because we knew, you know, I think it, obviously I've met other ladies that had stillbirths or, or didn't know that their baby's heart had stopped beating until they were in labour and, I think because we obviously knew Zara had already passed away, perhaps the shock had had subsided and then we could just like 
be in the moment when when she was born. And you were able to spend some time together. Yeah, I, I think we've definitely been fortunate when I read some other ladies stories our, our bereavement suite was separate to the labor ward so we didn't hear you know it was like silent in our room um and yeah we got to be in that suite we spent um one night with her um and even though it was covid so there was no hospital visiting they said we could have as many visitors as we as we wanted into the suite so um my mum and two sisters came and Stephen's parents came as well. And yeah, we spent almost 24 hours with her. Yeah. And how did you decide when the time was right to leave? That must've been such a difficult decision. Yeah, I think I'm sort of glad that it was taken out of our hands because I don't know how I would have decided to go. But we had her um, on the 31st of March and then it was going into the Easter weekend. We had her on the Wednesday and then it was going to be Good Friday and Easter Monday. So I remember the bereavement midwife saying that, you know, we could stay. But she said if she doesn't go, she was going to have a post-mortem. And if she didn't go the next day on the Thursday, she would have to stay in the mortuary on her own over the whole Easter weekend. And I remember thinking like, you know, it's not that she's going somewhere pleasant to have a post-mortem, but I didn't want her sitting at the hospital either in the mortuary on her own all weekend. So we agreed that she would go the next day. Um, so I kind of, I'm sort of glad that the bereavement midwife had a set time that she had to get her downstairs. And and I think also because we had the two children at home and it was Easter weekend, I had that pull as well to, I wanted to stay with Zara, but then we wanted to get home and be with the, the other two as well. Yeah. How were the other two when you got home? Just bouncing off the walls with Nana and Gang Gang. And I think that's where like, I've met some ladies at our support group and that have lost their first child and obviously their journey after, don't like the word journey, but their um, immediate after is so different. Like I remember just stepping in the back door and the kids were just like, mommy, mommy, look at this. We've been doing this and we're going on the Easter egg hunt around the town with Nana and oh, and like we just walked in the door and and I needed that. Um, but sometimes I do think our grief has had to um, be suppressed and it's only come out as and when we can or as and when we allow it to because we're trying to protect the two children. Yeah. Um, and sometimes I think perhaps some of my grieving has took longer um, because of that. Um but yeah, I just remember coming home and it was straight into Easter. And I remember going around my sister's and she only lives in the next street um, to do the Easter egg hunt with all the, the children and my nieces and nephews. And my elder sister had only had a baby eight weeks previously. And I just remember our daughter saying she was really emotional while we were there. Um, and I just remember her saying to me, um, why does he get to come home? Zara didn't. And it just shattered my heart like into a thousand pieces. But um, yeah, and I say, and she still says that now when people have babies and we just reassure her that that's a totally normal feeling. And, you know, me and daddy think that too. Yeah. That some babies are healthy and some babies aren't. Um. But, yeah, I mean, my parents were here all day, every day in the immediate after, um, you know, doing all the cooking, being an extra pair of hands to play with the children. Um, but I think I, I was just so, I just wanted to feel normal. I think that I definitely thought grief, like, buzzed off after a while. And I was like, we just need to be normal and, um, like, plough on ahead and, I think there's a fine balance with with that. And you mentioned earlier your um 
support groups that you're part of. So how did you find them? Um, I I obviously the the hospital gave us loads of leaflets that were that was from Sands, mm. uh, but we were sort of well, it was March twenty one, so we were sort of like emerging out of COVID, but there was still concerns. So I didn't sort of do anything about it um, straight away, and then I think in the June. Um, my a friend of mine who, who'd lost her daughter um she'd been to a, a different local hospital and, and the bereavement midwives there were starting a face-to-face support group um it's only about 15 minutes from my house um and there's also a counsellor there and they just sort of host it once a month um and I still go now um so I've been going for nearly a year and a half uh, I've missed a few here and there um, but it's basically we just have a chat we go around um, it can be totally unrelated to like to your baby um, it's just more of a catch-up but I think um, I found that much more beneficial I think because I'd got the children at home I needed to leave the house mm-hmm. have that time and just be open and honest I did. I was offered Zoom counselling from the hospital um, bereavement counsellor, but I only did about four or five sessions. And I just felt it wasn't for me. Sometimes you just need to be with people who 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 get it right. People who've been through something similar, and it's really good that you were able to get out of the house. And like you said that before, you had to suppress a lot of your feelings of grief. But hopefully that over the last 18 months has given you that space to to grieve like we're such a little um gang now and like I missed one because I had COVID and and Jane the lady that sort of facilitates it she emails straight away like hey just checking in um we missed you at group and it's lovely like yeah it's just once a month and um and you know some and new people come and they might come for a few times and then it's not for them or there's a few of us that are sort of um, still going straight from the beginning um but yeah I, I definitely needed to be out of the house and like more face to face and I think sometimes I worried that I didn't have proper counseling um as I know so many ladies that have had great counseling from like petals and Teddy's wish but I actually listened to Elle's podcast the other day and they were discussing who did and didn't have counselling immediately. And it made me, I think it reassured me that perhaps it's just not for me. Um, and that uh, speaking to the other ladies once a month was was enough for me. And uh, me and Stephen have always been really good at chatting. We, we mostly would put the kids to bed and then spend all evening like chatting that's so good. We, I was talking with a friend of mine the other day about how therapy can take so many different kind. like when we talk about therapy, we very much see it as a you talking to a counsellor, but actually therapy is in all sorts of stuff like exercise and talking to friends and socialising and spending time with your family. I think that's kind of overlooked when it comes to what we actually consider to be to be therapy. So it sounds like that you're doing really, really well. And what what does the future look like for you, Emma? Do you think you will try for another baby or is it just not on the agenda right now? We we have been trying. I think that's another like hurdle. I think by now I thought, oh, we'll have another baby. Um, We started trying that last September. So it's been over a year. And then I had a miscarriage in June. Um, And I think... Like, I've never struggled to conceive. Um, So I think sometimes I feel like we're just packing on the trauma um, because the longer time goes on, I think, oh, you know, am I not meant to have another one? Um, Is my body traumatised? Like, uh, we have had, you know, the the bog standard initial fertility test, both of us, because I was going a bit stir crazy. Uh, And there's nothing wrong with either of us um but so yeah I think I thought we'd have another baby by now um so that that must be quite difficult to get your head around by itself right 
Yeah, definitely. And I think we did have genetic testing, um, which we didn't actually get the results of until like this January. It, it was a long 10 month process. Um, and that came back with no genetic answers for us, which I think we kind of suspected would happen. Um, they said it's not to say Zara didn't have a genetic fault, but with the knowledge they've got at the moment, they can't identify one. And we just go sort of into the National Research Library. Um, so they have, and the the doctorate of fetal health has outlined everything we would sort of get in terms of monitoring with another pregnancy. And I think I just almost wanted to get straight back on that train. And um, so I, I knew that doctor and... Um, yeah, and, and it's still not happened. So, yeah, I, I still have, I remember coming home after having Zara and just thinking I need another baby, like, soon as. Mm. Uh, and, yeah, we still want another baby. Um, and I think that's where I'm a bit stuck at the minute as to whether, like, do I go back to work? I didn't think it would take this long. Um, how long do I wait? I think that's. Yeah. So, so many difficult decisions, isn't it? So there's so much, especially if you, as you've had that huge previous trauma, there's so much more resting on the trying to conceive process than just, you know, the, the testing once a month of whether it's been successful. It's such a huge, huge thing to go through, isn't it? Yeah. So it's almost like, like when I got pregnant in June, I just remember like a wave of sickness coming over me, like seeing the positive, because it's like I want another baby, but I don't want to be pregnant. And um, I think like when I see pregnant women or if friends or family are pregnant, I just can't engage with it. It's just, I think that's like the trauma for me, like being pregnant. Um, and then I had a very early miscarriage. But um, yeah, it's it's yeah, it's just that funny thing of like, you want to be pregnant, but you don't. Mm. Um, and obviously, you know, some family members are like, you know, it'll happen eventually. And you're like, well, when? Can you can you tell me when? Yeah. Uh, oh, so that old crystal ball. Oh. That'd be nice. It's the lack of control I struggle with and quite a control freak, I think. Um, and... Yeah, sometimes, I mean, obviously Zara will be two in March and I thought, oh, we'll definitely have another baby by then. Yeah, that's hard. And how did you, just just one last question, how did you sort of celebrate Zara's first birthday? Um, <clears throat> we, after I had Zara, I was like, oh, we need to do something and I needed to keep my brain busy, I think, Um our middle child was at preschool and I was like, Oh, I, I need to do something. So we did actually host a charity ball, um, around her first birthday. Um, we sort of had 120 people seated for dinner. Um, and we raised money for ARC and saying goodbye. Um, we raised just over 6,000 pounds and split it. And I absolutely loved doing that. I feel like I spent the year doing that, like Mother Zara, um, and I was so proud of that. Yeah, that's what, so you did that around her first birthday, did you? Yes, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but we, and and I think for me, I've learned with lots of different points of the year, it's always the build-up that's worse. Mm-hmm. Like I dreaded last Christmas, um, and I think I dreaded her birthday, but then actually, um, we, we took my daughter out of school and um, we just went to like a local safari park. So I was like, this is something we would do if, if she was one and we had a day out together and we had like a really nice day and came home and opened her cards and um, sang happy birthday to her. And obviously the children liked blowing the candles out and like her birthday was really nice. Um, so I think, yeah, I think after like the first year you get to grips with, what your worst points are and how you cope and um yeah build up is worse Mm, definitely a lot of people say that yeah yeah I remember last Christmas like not crying 
And at the end of the day, I was like, oh, I feel terrible because I haven't cried for Zara. <laughs> Stephen was like, it doesn't matter. Like, you know, you've been thinking about her today it, just because you didn't cry today. Um, I think you punish yourself, whatever you feel. Yeah, definitely. That guilt and shame and all those ugly feelings, just, I don't know why we all do it, but it's like we, yeah, punish ourselves, torment ourselves with what with what we think that we should be doing or what we feel we're not doing or, you know, there's always a reason, isn't there? It always seems to be a reason. No, and I think um, I just never feel I'm doing enough. Like we did the ball and now we've got into a routine on her birthday and Christmas of um, I buy loads of like support books and we stamp them with her little stamp and we take them to the local bereavement suite for them to give out to other um, families. And and like last year we donated a, a sibling box as well. And I just always feel like it's never enough. Um, and I, I think I'll always probably struggle with that. I think, and I don't know if it's because she was going to be our third. Obviously, I see how much we do for the other two children and how much they get and how much love they get from all the family. And I think whatever we do for Zara is just like never enough. Um, but obviously, it, you know, you can only do so much mothering when they're not here. Oh, Emma. Well, thank you so much for, for sharing Zara's story. It's been lovely to listen to. Um, you're so eloquent about it all. And yeah, we think just you're doing amazingly. Thank um, you. And you're such an inspiration for other, other women. So how can people, are you on Instagram, how can people get, get hold of you or follow you? Or um, I'm the incomplete family on Instagram. Um, and yeah, my message is always open and um I love hearing from from other people um I remember after I did my my entry on Elle's blog and I had so many messages and like one lady said I I've never told anybody in nine years and now like I feel like I can and and I remember getting a message from a lady who's really religious and that was a big thing for me, like worrying that people that were religious would be like, oh my God, it's not your, it's not your call. And, and, and she was lovely and was like, you know, not judgmental at all just because she's religious. And um, yeah, my message is always open and it's always lovely chatting to people who get it. Yeah. Well, we wish you lots of luck with your trying to conceive again journey. Journey. Yeah, keep in touch. Will do. Thank you. Always take care of yourself. Yeah, you too. Bye. Bye.